Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dawson and Wistie podcast. I'm JT Wistersill. I'm Gavin Dawson. And we are coming to you fresh off of game two of the Western Conference Finals when Gavin Dawson's sons just took a commanding 2-0 lead on the Clippers. And Gavin, let's just jump right in. I'm going to do my best to hold in um, as much as my uh, as much of my energy as I can. I don't want to make any emotional uh, statements. So uh, driven off of what's just happened. Uh, oh, Monty Williams is a genius. I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Oh my God, um, I hate Scott Foster as does <laughs> as does most of the NBA. Uh, that whole officiating crew is is god awful. It's like Angel Hernandez, but there's three of them. For those of you that watch baseball. <laughs> Um, I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Uh, Booker channeled his inner Nash, although Nash's did look a little worse. I think the best part is, I think, uh, my favorite part is either going to be mass Booker in game three, because we very well could see that. Or the fact that the sun's, uh, medical staff has upped their game since the last time one of our star guards got hit in the face. Uh, Steve Nash, they just put two butterfly strips over it and a big old band-aid and didn't stop the bleeding just said get back out there uh Devin Booker went back for the last what was it three or four minutes of the quarter got him stitched up put a, a butterfly strip over it and got him back out there so he if you know obviously the blood's gonna be pumping when you're running back running to up and down the floor uh so I mean they did a good job closing that wound I'm, I'm happy about that I don't I mean my, my mind's running all over the place. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop rambling. Let's, let's get into this. Yeah. So one Oh four, one Oh three win. It was really an insane game, really even game throughout when you have a game this closely Suns 50% from the field Clippers, 45% from the field, both stars struggled in stretches. I mean, George 10 for 23 from the field for 26 book as well. Not his most efficient night, five for 16 stepping up when it mattered, but it was a lot of times the other guys. I mean, Cameron Payne, <laughs> 29 points, nine assists. Said, to, uh, if I gave someone, if I told someone that Suns point guard at 29 and nine, they're like, man, I didn't know Chris Paul played last night. It's like, no, it's, it was another, it's another C, but not, not Chris Paul. It's insane efficiency as well. Uh, we're going to touch on DeAndre Ayton when we talk about the last shot, but um, mm-hmm. I was so happy for him. I thought he played a great game. One thing that won't get as much love as the last shot was I love that he actually got in the paint and took the jump hook so often he does fadeaways or something. He settles more to me and he, it was just such a beautiful job. Did a great job turning, creating that separation, shooting over Zubats. It's just something I like seeing him do more of is be aggressive. And I do forget sometimes how young he is because he has such a mature game already that he's only going to continue to grow on offense, but he was spectacular for the clip for the Suns, And then for the Clippers, Reggie Jackson was really good throughout even the bench. I mean, Kennard, Terrence Mann, Terrence Mann only had eight points. Two weeks ago, we would have been like, Terrence Mann played unbelievable with eight points. And now it's like a letdown because he scored 39 that one game. And then we got Zubach also had a nice 14 off the bench uh, in the starting role, this starting role this time around. So lots of the other guys stepping up in the game. It was a fun game. So outside of the final little bit, what were kind of your emotions and some of the things going through your head as the game um, progressed? It's it's frustrating seeing Rajon Rondo and uh, Patrick Beverly hit threes, as I'm sure it would be for anybody when you play the Clippers. Uh, but I think that the big thing that, that stood out for me was their three-point shot was, I think at a percentage-wise, was hitting was, was hitting at about the same clip as us. Um, but the threes that they hit came in a timely manner. We worked really hard for our buckets in the second half, which allowed us to keep the lead and uh, actually grow the lead uh, from halftime to the end of the third quarter by three. We had a, we shot a lot more twos than they did. Points in the paint were a big story for us, obviously. 
uh, with DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, outscored him by 30 in points in the paint, 60 to 30. Um, but their three-point shots, I mean, we, we got up about what, I want to say six or seven each time. Like we'd, we'd stretch it to six or seven and they'd hit a three to bring it back down to four and just a timely manner, their threes kept them in the game for so long. And then when we got cold or started settling for shots that we didn't need to, that was when they were able to bring it back and put themselves up one in, in crunch time. Yeah. Just a note on those threes you're talking about. I mean, you said points in the paint was your guys's thing. The three was their thing. They were 13 for 34. You guys were actually six for 26. So both neither team was great, but they were at least 38%. You guys were only 26, but the six you were able to hit were big timely ones, as you said, and wasn't a great shooting night from the outside, but especially those points in the paint, like I said, making a difference. I think uh, our, our issue, or at least offensively, the, the one issue I, I see, well, major issue I see with our starting lineup is that we run a couple sets. It's not often that we do, but some of the shots that Bridges takes are shots that just aren't in his arsenal yet. The off-balance three, uh, the transition three, just aren't there for him yet. He still has a little bit of a hitch in his jump shot, although it has significantly improved since he's been in the NBA, and he can still knock down those shots when he needs to. Um, but his shots are more catch-and-shoot catch stand or threes. If, I, if I'm going to run a set like that, which I wanted them to before they took him out uh, or they brought Bridges back in, with, I want to say, I don't know how much time was left. It was probably just over two minutes. They brought Bridges back in. They ran an offensive set for Bridges. He hit that three at the top of the key. I don't know if that play is going to stick out to anybody. That was an offensive set. I wanted them to run for Cam uh, Cam Johnson about nine times tonight because I felt like Cam Johnson could have hit five or six more threes and the game wouldn't have been as close um, as it was. I loved uh, DeAndre Ayton's aggressiveness in the air tonight, by the way. He, he threw down a couple of alley hoops that I, I didn't know he could jump that high. I'm, I'm I've never seen that guy. I've never seen that man jump that high. <laughs> he, he got up there on uh, not only the lob from Crowder to, to close the game, but on a pass from the book between Beverly and Zubak. And then on the other alley from uh, Crowder in the first half, he got up. I swear his hands were above the backboard. It was unbelievable. So it was a big game, but it's just his game – is a quiet game. It, he had a big game, but it was still quiet. They'll talk about it more so now since he hit that – he dunked it. But I, think with the, the, I can't speak. <laughs> I can't speak. Uh, with the, the, the game last, yes. Yeah, with the game winner there at the last second. Um, but he had a quiet game. A quiet – what was it? What did he finish with? 20? I mean, it was 24. I actually felt like this was one of his more impactful 24 performances to me. I believe he had 20 in game one, and I did not feel that was as impactful as it was tonight. Personally, this is a very subjective, uh, subjective thing when we're talking about how, how much when we're watching it. We see the impact. But yeah, he had 24 tonight, 14 points, only missed three shots too. I mean, I thought he was really good. One other stat that's kind of funny that stands out to me is if you told me the Cameron Payne, Devin Booker backcourt would combine for seven turnovers tonight, I'd probably go five Payne, two book. Payne didn't have a turnover tonight, which is a testament to him. And I will give I'll give credit to Book for this because he had a lot of those turnovers early in the game. He only had two in the second half. He had five oh, of those early on. And both teams, I thought, played really strong defensive throughout. Very active hands, disrupting passing lane, being over for help. There were some rebounds, offensive rebounds given up in timely manner. But overall, like Aiden Zubach both did a good job on the boards. I, I this The effort was absolutely there tonight from both sides, as you would expect in game two of the Western Conference Finals. But especially on the defensive end, it's always refreshing to see it in an NBA when guys buy in defensively at the highest level. I love it's It's 
really two things about this Suns team that I love. I love watching. Um, as a Suns fan, I'm supposed to hate the Spurs, but mm-hmm. growing up, I I loved watching the Spurs. I hated when they played against us, but I loved watching the Spurs for one thing, and that was ball movement. Their ball movement was always so good, and that's why they were such a consistent. Obviously, Tim Duncan's a big you know big factor. Yeah. Their, ball, their ball movement was what set them apart and made them such a great team for so long. And this team's ball movement is second to none. And second to none is also dog hair. Um, <laughs> what I would, uh, what I would uh, categorize our defense as. It's just swarming, watching three wings fly all across the, all across the court, closing out, not making any shots any easier for, for the Clippers. I mean, they had a couple easy buckets just from great passes from both Paul George, Rondo. Uh, I think Patrick Beverly had a, had a good pass in there somewhere. Um, but just, just watching how they close out and the, the effort in the hustle plays is, is something that sticks out for me. Cam Johnson had a bucket in the first half where there were no suns on the, on the uh, offensive glass. Cam Johnson comes crashing down the baseline, pokes the ball free from, I don't know if it was Zubak or um, George, got the ball and was able to hit a layup within that I don't know, space of a second and a half to give us an extra bucket, which those little hustle plays really stick out to me and why I really love this young group of guys that we have. Yeah, Cam only made five shots tonight. It was five and five. And I felt like I can remember every single one of them because he just had it going tonight. It was really something fun to watch. And it was a fun game. And what made it the extra cherry on top to this great game was that finish. Let's pick it up with 27 seconds left. When 27 seconds left was when Book hit the tough pull up. That was a really nice jumper right there. The possession before that, he actually let campaign kind of go at it. And Zubach ended up getting the block. Paul George goes coast to coast like that. That possession really upset me, by the way. Yeah, I actually texted guy. texted Gavin Durian and said, I want, I would have liked for Book to come get that. But Book's like, okay. So the very next one, he steps up and does that. I loved what Paul George did. There was 22 seconds left in the game. Paul George could have dribbled, dribbled, dribbled. And yes, we probably all would have gotten to go to bed a little bit earlier if he did that. But he just comes in comfortably, hits his shot right away. Boom, big time play right there. And then after he hits that shot right there is when we have the weird review thing. We can talk about some of the officiating a little bit. The last 27 seconds of this game lasted about 27 minutes for those. It was was 30. The last 90 seconds were 33 minutes. That's official. It was unbelievable how long it took Scott Foster to figure out that he's looking at his cataracts and not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I was upset for a completely different reason on that campaign drive to the, uh, to the hoop. He had the left, he's a left-handed player. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. Um, but he had Zubak beat on the left-hand side. What upset me was that he crossed his body and went for the reverse layup on the opposite side, not giving himself the most optimal position for the layup. I feel like he might've even made the layup had he just taken him on the left side. The, uh, the slowdown and cross back across of uh, Zubak's body, I think, allowed Zubak to get back into the play. Mm-hmm. And then the release point of the layup on the opposite end uh, just allowed Zubak's length to, to disrupt the shot. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, we might have been able to go to bed a little bit early, <laughs> a little bit earlier. But, um, you know, you kind of pick and choose your battles. There were a lot of things that happened poorly for both sides. I mean, Paul yeah. Jordan's. Ben Simmons for 30 seconds, thank God. Yeah, we're, yeah, I was about to talk about that. But before that happened, we get the, – the call I personally hate is where Patrick Beverly knocks the ball out of bounds. But because we go super slow down – Preaching of the choir. We're, in, we're anywhere else in basketball, that's just the person's ball. Who That's just the offense's ball when the defense knocks it out like that. But when we go super slow. So not a fan of that call. 
that's a situation too where I understand we're trying to be exact, but I just I just don't feel like it applies in that scenario because of how ridiculously slow we have to go there. But then yeah, on the other end, and like you said, uh, Paul George with a chance to ice the game, this is both free throws. Really was Ben Simmons for a little bit right there, so it's tough to swallow. Come down to the other end, good decision by the Clippers. They double book instantly when he gets it in. They swing it over to Bridges. He ends up missing the three. Ball goes out of bounds. 0.7 seconds left. It's still, it kind of feels like this game is over still. We're about to get a 1-1 series. And then, Gavin, I'll let you take it away and talk about what Monty and your sons did from there. Well, Monty Williams had a, had drawn up a play, and, of course, we botched it um, with 7.8 seconds left. We didn't run it. Um, I wouldn't even call it to half perfection. We ran it about as good as a kindergarten basketball team could have. <laughs> and we wound up taking a, granted, a wide open three in the corner. Clippers uh, defended it well, though, I thought. I, I would give them credit for doubling. I thought that was a smart they, they did. They did. But whatever Monty was trying to do, it wasn't executed correctly. And it wound up with a uh, book at the very top with 7.8 seconds left. He's doubled. Nowhere for him to go. Kicks it to Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder throws it in the corner for a wide open uh, Mikhail Bridges, which, of course, he's, he rushes. Uh, misses it. Aiton and Zubak uh, fight for the rebound, and the, and the ball goes out of bounds in the left-hand corner with about 0.9 seconds left in the game. And then Monty Williams, thank you, Scott Foster, in this case, not in the four other times you decided to review the game, uh, gave Monty Williams a chance to draw up uh, a miraculous play, which, funny enough, as it was a diversion, people thought they were going to go to the shooters to take the shot. Uh, Jay Crowder throws a lob inbound pass to DeAndre Ayton right at the, the edge of the rim. I don't think it could have been more perfect. Ayton dunks the ball, and I think there should have been about 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6 seconds left time the ball went through the hoop. Uh, but, you know, nothing in basketball can happen in under 0. 0.3 seconds unless you Scott Foster. It would happen in 0. 0.2. So he left 0. 0.7 seconds left uh, on, the, uh, on the clock. And then the ensuing madness happened. DeMarcus Cousins pushes uh Devin Booker as everybody's rushing the floor they realize there's time's up there's time left on the clock Clippers try to make a sub they can't make a sub because the rules of basketball apply here mm-hmm. yeah. um they get their five out there Scott Foster realizes oh they're supposed to inbound the ball from the baseline and not the uh not the sideline so we get all that figured out after about 20 minutes of review and then Paul George doesn't even get a shot off. It was well defended. Again, even if he did get it off, it would have been a tough shot. So, Suns win by one. And, oh, my God. I, I mean, I'm coming down off my high right now. Um, but I'd say, what, 15 minutes ago, I was screaming my head off <laughs> because I didn't know I didn't know what to feel at that point. Uh, You've never felt uh, it before. <laughs> Monty, Monty, Williams is, Monty Williams is a genius. Monty yes. Williams is a genius. He, he drew that play up to perfection. It was executed to perfection. You can't ask for much more. I think the uh, the down screen or the up screen, if you will, from Devin Booker is the most impactful thing from that play. Obviously, you've got to rely on Jay Crowder's passing ability, but you don't. that doesn't happen without the uh, the up screen on Zoom block there. Mm-hmm. So. That is it. And I give a lot of credit to, I think it was so smart to have books at the screen because, you know, Batum's going to, the reason Batum got out of position is because he's so worried about Book catching that ball because everyone thinks Book's going to get the ball in that scenario. Mm-hmm. And Book took a shot from Zubak, too. <laughs> Zubak was coming down hard. He did not expect the screen. So credit to him there. And, yeah, it was just an, it was just an insane ending. I thought the best Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton lob we were going to see was in the first quarter where he threw a beautiful yeah. one 
where he almost shot the three, saw him late, dunks it right over Zubac there, then gets to dunk over Zubac again later, which is, yeah, just amazing. So a great – And then the pass from Crowder. Is just, yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> an excited Suns fan indeed. And Mr. Dawson here. And it was an ex- it's an exciting time to be a Suns fan as they go up 2-0 like that. I still – I kind of – originally I did believe I said Suns in six. I'm now feeling Suns in five. I felt that way before this game. I still strongly feel that way. Gavin? Um, I you said, like, are you going to make like a fun? Are you going to make like our, your favorite fan right now? <laughs> I said something six. I think uh, last time we recorded, I'm not sure if I did or not, but I think I, I, I either went Suns and six or I went Suns and five. I think I'm going to stick with Suns and five. I think the Clippers yeah. are way too good for them to not win a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said earlier, I don't want to make an emotional statement, you know, something four. you know, it's screwed at something three. <laughs> uh, make a stupid joke like that, but no, it's, it's going to be Suns and five. Uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be realistic here. Paul George is gonna go off probably in one of these games. Yeah, he did the first game. <laughs> I think I think uh, we as the Suns should consider so consider ourselves to be very lucky uh, because we're playing LA again. We get a chance to see Devin Booker playing underneath Kobe's jerseys one more time, actually at least two more times. Uh, so it's not even like it's an away game for us, or at least for Booker. I mean, it's still- everybody else is an away game, but. I don't know. I think Book feels right at home in the Staples Center underneath Kobe's jerseys because he knows he's going to be there. Yeah, be be a Laker one day. Um, I mean, that you're saying? at the end of his career, he'll <laughs> that's how you make it Nash. sound. And pull a Steve Nash, you know? Like, yeah, pull a Steve Nash. Just wait until the end of his career when he's useless mm-hmm. and he'll get like a like an injury so he doesn't play yeah. for you guys at all. But you know, he'll be a Laker in spirit. Yeah, in spirit. So no, yeah, but yeah, Book's incredible. It's going to be fun to watch him in those LA lights. Really quick, one thing we'll touch on to why I still feel like Suns, I have Suns in five. I, I told Gavin when the whole Chris Paul thing happened, I thought Chris Paul wouldn't even miss the first game because he is vaccinated. That was reported by Matt Barnes, who said he had spoken to Chris Paul. Matt Barnes has not seen, but you can use a lot of words to describe Matt Barnes. Fake is not one of them. So I do believe that reports. And so I'm surprised he's still out a little bit. I would be shocked. I, well, I guess I'm shocked every game at this point that he does not play. But the, I'll flip it quick. The Kawhi Leonard thing, to me, it's a char- it's a charade they're keeping up right now. I think he if maybe he comes back if they somehow make the final. I would be stunned if he played in this series. I think the injury is worse than they're letting on, and I think they're trying to cover it up. The initial reports where he was going to miss the rest of the postseason, then all of a sudden he becomes day-to-day and all this. I feel like it's just trying to cover it up a little bit and keep a little bit of fear in the Suns' minds that Kawhi might return just so they're a little hesitant and still have to plan and think if Kawhi, the day of the game, becomes active so they're not cold turkey out there and don't know what to do. So that's why I still feel like it. Because Chris Paul back very soon. Kawhi, I don't think we're going to see him again. And I don't think Kawhi would be as effective as he could be if he did come back. If he's on this day-to-day uh, schedule that they say that they say they have him on, uh, this day-to-day schedule after, like you said, there was a chance he was out for the rest of the season. Um, so it really goes hand-in-hand. I mean, we said that Chris Paul might not even miss a game. Who knows? He might – I mean, judging from his son's TikTok, for those of you who have seen it, <laughs> I think he's doing just fine. He should be back for game three. I hope, but you know, CP15 seems to be holding it down just fine. Yeah, he's yeah, exactly. Gabriel Bain has been killing it, and yeah, Chris Paul is uh, doing all right. And we touched on the Clippers a little bit, but let's, it is incredible they are at this point still. Jazz injuries aside, I think if I personally think if Donovan Mitchell's healthy, they still win that series. And obviously, if Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley are healthy, they win the series. Both those guys clearly not 100, but 
Both guys had some guys injured, and who ended up stepping up? It was the Clippers. Paul George, yes, he looked like Pampers P tonight, but back in that <laughs> the first few, first few games, he, his last three games in a row, his stats were incredible. It was, I believe, 38, 29, like 38. Just again, he really went off incredible, stepped up in Kawhi's absence. I was so impressed by his ability to take over. Average 29, 9.5, and 4.8 in that series, so almost 29, 10, and 5, a really nice thing. Paul George has kind of assumed the playmaking role for that team. Reggie Jackson has been a complete revelation in these playoffs. He averaged 18 points per game in the series against the Jazz as well. Really impressed by him, whether it's hitting threes with guys with guys close by him or attacking the basket. He's done that a few times against the Suns as well. But the Clippers are an incredible story to me. Gavin, I went over this yesterday. They only play one guy that they drafted themselves, and it was Terrence Mann who was taken in the second round. So this team gets no production from their own first round picks. And the only player from this team who's been a Clipper for more than three years is Patrick Beverly. So it is insane. The amount of chemistry this team has seemed to form so quickly. And it's like a ragtag group of bounty hunters almost with how we have. I was getting ready to to point out that you had said that the other day. Yeah, but I I think it's a perfect analogy. I really do enjoy watching them play, and I, I think a lot of guys stepped up for them, none more so than Terrence Mann himself with the incredible 39 performance, which I believe in game one versus the Mavs, I think he was a DNP. So really an incredible he turnaround for him over two series. For all, I think all the way through game three. Might have been. Yeah, I think he was as well. But what, what, are, what are some of your thoughts on the Clippers, having watched them closely against the Suns and what you saw against the Jazz? Terrence Mann is going to be a piece on a championship team. Uh, in the future, I don't know. I mean, if he keeps improving, then the Clippers have another star on their hands. They can't pay everybody. Obviously, if they lose Kawhi, then they'll they'll resign. They'll have the money to do that. Um, I don't know. The Clippers team is it's impressive. Um, I I dislike their point guards just simply for the fact. Not that many people like their not pe- not many people like their guys. They're they're, they're well, irritants. But I will give everyone loves the story. I'll give them credit. I'll give them credit where credit's due. They're irritants and they do their job really well. Excluding Terrence Mann, when Reggie Jackson is the most likable point guard you have, something's a little off there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I don't consider Terrence Mann to be a point guard. Yeah, he's not in today's league. He's um, he just was at Florida State. But Terrence Mann has been really impressive. Uh, I mean, second round draft pick, mediocre player coming out of Florida State. Uh, he's, he's been all around impressive. I was actually impressed with, uh, with Zubak today yep. um, with how he handled himself um, against Aiton. Obviously, Zubak being the easiest of the the three big men that he's had to guard up until this point uh, with Andre Drummond, Anthony Davis, and uh, Nikola Jokic. So I was, I was uh, surprised to see him hold his own. He's a tenacious rebounder. I'll give him that. He, he mm-hmm. fought for a lot of rebounds that I didn't think he should have been anywhere close to. Uh, Patrick Beverly's defensive IQ um, is actually incredible. It blurs that line between Fallon and non-Fallon a lot, as we saw tonight, but does make some really nice plays. He's 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 one of those guys that you don't want to see. I I don't like how much. I mean, who does? I don't like how much he runs his mouth uh, for somebody who does one thing well. Um, Rondo is playoff Rondo, you know. Mm-hmm. It is what it is with him. It's it's frustrating to see him knock down threes when he hasn't hit a jump shot in about six months. 
Uh, Boogie, I wish Boogie got more minutes. I, I really feel like Boogie it's could tough. get. I mean, yeah, no, Boogie's a. Because I love player. him too. I really do. People, t- people seem to really forget just how good Boogie really was mm-hmm. uh, for Sacramento. I wish Boogie got more minutes, and I don't mean that as in, you know, so we can take advantage of it. I think Boogie's a problem still. Mm-hmm. I think Dario Sarge, got- ha- Dario Sarge is happy he doesn't get more minutes. Yeah. yeah. Boogie, uh, Boogie, I think if he was in place of Zubak, changes the game uh, altogether because he can actually space the floor from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his issue obviously comes with one uh, being the most hated player on the, the refs roster on their most hate, like they, they in their, the big, they, the big headquarters of yeah. the ref, hypothetically speaking here, top 10 hate, most hated players. Boogie's on that list somewhere. Sure. I don't know where he's oh, at, sure. but he's one of them. A foul trouble keeps him off the floor. Uh, I really do wish he got more minutes though. He's, he's a problem. I think it's the defensive thing is the biggest thing with him. It's just it's in a league where everyone switches. He the injuries yeah. have ravaged him. He can't guard in space. There's drop coverage, and then there's what Demarcus Cousins does, where he will literally sit so far in the paint, and that's part. And the book got some really good shots targeting him in the game. He did go for forty, but I mean, he can still if he played a full if he played a full like if he started for an NBA team in a regular season. He'd still average over 20 a game offensively because he can shoot from the outside and still is such a big mm-hmm. load in the post. Diff, uh, you're right. I mean, I didn't think about. I keep forgetting that that plays a factor into why some people don't get me, don't get many minutes. Yeah, uh, obviously, <laughs> Luke, Luke Luke Kennard being an exception late in the game because of his three point shooting. Yes, uh, they ignored the guard. I think that's why they let him in. Kennard brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but. No, you're right. Uh, Boogie's Boogie's injuries have, have really ravaged him on the defensive end, um, and we all know what happens when a center decides to sit in the paint against us. So mm-hmm. you know, no CP3, but Book would happily take advantage of hitting a mid-range shot every possession. So the ragtag Clippers have been an incredible story. It's been fun to watch. Perfect example of that is Nicholas Batum as well, who's really stepped in. Mm-hmm. Charlotte is paying him $9 million for the next three years, so that man is free to ring chase. That is the dream, everyone. Get fired by a crappy place. They continue to have to pay you, and you can go play with the best company. Just do, just be a part of the ride, even starting for them playing big minutes. That is the dream. Life goals everyone should strive for. Something people should not strive for is what the Philadelphia 76ers just did. Up 3-2 against the Atlanta Hawks. Then we get the 26-point blown lead by the Sixers. Come back strong in game six. Game seven in their house. So they blew the 26-point lead in their house. Surely they can't lose game seven in their house. When And especially, too, when Trey Young goes 5 of 23 from the field, 2 of 11 from three, not Shout out to at all. In the words of the of the uh, Hawks locker room, shout out to Kayvon Herter. Yeah, <laughs> his nickname. Exactly. Yeah. Red Velvet. It's Kayvon. Kayvon Red Herter. Velvet Herter. Herter's my favorite player of all time who's ever given himself a nickname. He, he he calls himself Red Velvet. Everyone else who's ever given themselves a nickname, it never works. But his is funny, and he was that he was a bucket in Game Seven. He was a huge reason the Hawks were able to get it out. Despite the Trey Young struggles, we just highlighted. He was ten of eighteen from the field with that twenty-seven points. Trey Young was the only other starter who got only other player on the roster who got over 20. And as we said, he did it very inefficiently, only scoring 21 with on those 23 shots. But we can talk about the Hawks. We'll talk about the Hawks a little bit more later. Let's let's focus on Philly here. 
Over is awesome. Over. I think it's safe to say. Hmm. Um, ben Simmons. Where do you think Ben Simmons is going to wind up? And what are your top? Who are your top three destinations? Okay. For people who don't know me, I love to make lists. I have a list of the top ten, <laughs> top ten destinations. So here's my top. Mind you, mind you, he's making yeah. a crap load of money. Yeah, <laughs> a ton of money. But also, I'll also remind: only 25 years old, one of the best defensive players in the NBA, and. I still think, look, the ultimate goal of the NBA is to try and win a ring, but he's a guy who, if you surround the right pieces around him too, he's got to play with a better shooting. He, okay, I'll, I'll include them in here just because I don't know if I want my Timberwolves to necessarily make a move for him. He would fit perfectly with Cap. He needs an elite three-point shooting center. Embiid can shoot it from the outside, but every time he does it, you're like, thank you. As when far Cap as shoots for three-point shooter. Yes. When Cat shoots it from the outside, you're scrambling because they literally run Cat off screens, to curls to get this dude open threes. He's so knocked out. So I'll throw the Timberwolves in there. I'm also I'm going to throw the Knicks in there. Uh, I I think the Knicks could be a team. Tom Thibodeau I think could really love what Ben Simmons brings defensively. The only problem is with the Knicks is Thibodeau is so old fashioned. I think he will still want to play a center. I don't know how well Randall and him would pair together, but I think the Knicks just make a lot of sense there. Like and the, the other team the same thing. Yeah, the other team I'll throw in there. I think the dream scenario for the Sixers is that Damian Lillard demands a trade to Portland, and that's how Ben Simmons ends up in Portland. So I just I think that would be the dream scenario. I don't think that's going to happen. Dame is a loyal player. I believe he will stay with the Trailblazers, but I just think I think those are my three. So Portland Timberwolves next. What do you have? Some Gavin for Ben. As we know, there are a few different options of teams he could go to. Okay. And some technical difficulties for a second. So while we wait to get Gavin back, a little more, a couple more thoughts on the Sixers overall in the series. To me, if if we're assigning blame, I think the main thing for me overall would be. Ben Simmons and Doc Rivers and Gavin is now back with us. So I'm okay, have sorry. Gavin I don't know what the, I don't know what just happened. I think my internet just crapped itself. Um, <laughs> so I assume you're done with your list now. Yes, I said uh, Por- Portland next. Yeah, Timberwolves were the three. Okay. Um, I think. I mean, Portland. Yeah, that's a dream scenario for them. Is Dame uh, requesting a trade? In order to make the money work, and it wouldn't surprise me if whoever does wind up in, if it, well, I guess, hold on, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, if the Mavs do decide to pursue a new GM, I think that the Mavs would be a good place for him because defensively it would shore up some of the, some of the shortcomings that they've had. Um, obviously, it's not surrounding Luca with better shootings. It, in fact, it's, it's worse. The last time they made a trade with the 76ers, it didn't work out too good. Uh, I.e. Josh Richardson for um, Seth Curry. Uh, but I think that the 76ers wind up with Porzingis, and that would create an interesting um, front court pair in Porzingis and Joel Embiid. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens with that dynamic. Uh, Obviously, I don't know how much that would, how much cap room that would free up. I don't know what the Mavs are going to try and do, but I feel like the Mavs are a good place for him. Good place for him to uh, to restart his career, 
Uh, Dallas is also a good place for a lot of international players we've seen. Um, mm. I think another good place for Ben Simmons would be Miami, possibly. Yes, that was another one on my list was Miami. Because they need, they need somebody like that. I mean, Ben Simmons is Patrick Beverly with better passing IQ and is 6'10". So, unless, actually, unless of a jump shot now that I think yeah. about it, which is not saying much. But I, I actually think, if Gavin, if I can just throw this in here really quick, mm-hmm. I think it would be a great trade for both sides if it was Ben Simmons for Jimmy Butler. Heat fans may hate that idea. I think the 76ers are in win-now mode, and I think trading for Jimmy Butler, getting their guy back with him, I think that'd be great, honestly. I don't know if the Heat want to pay him this, this um, same amounts of money versus Philly has shown they do not care and will throw money at anyone, especially when they paid like 30-plus-year-old Al Horford to play power forward, which he hadn't done in years next to a bead. But anyways, I really think – and then the Heat get a star point guard that can mold in Ben Simmons, who I think the fit with Bam would be a little clunky, but I really think that's one move that would work out great for both sides. And then I think maybe uh, it'd be a sign-and-trade deal uh, for New Orleans. Okay. Uh, obviously, Zion Williamson's family has stated that they, they are not happy there. Zion himself hasn't said anything, but Zion's family has stated that they're not happy. Uh, so maybe there's a deal that they can work out. They signed Zion for a crap ton amount of money to make the deal work. Maybe they throw in a couple of extra players uh, and they get continue the rebuild. I feel like they're in a good spot right now. Uh, New Orleans is for the future. They've got uh, three good players. Uh, there's some things that they need to do else, elsewhere on that roster, but maybe they decide to throw it out the window and, and continue the rebuild process by dumping Zion and maybe Lonzo Ball or somebody else to make the money work. Mm-hmm. And uh, Simmons winds up in New Orleans, who may not even be in New Orleans for, for that much longer now that I think about it. Yeah, I... I, I feel bad for the, the diehards who are Pelicans fans just because I'm a Timberwolves fan, so my team always gets thrown around those relocation rumors. I think the league should just expand, and then everyone's happy. Yeah. Go to Seattle, Vegas. I think we're heading that way anyways. But so the two, Yeah, so the Pelicans were one of the teams on my list as well. They were they're towards the bottom. I go back and forth on them because at the same time, I love Z- how much Zion had the ball in his hands late in the season. And I want to surround Zion with more shooting. I think if that were to make the trade for Ben Simmons, then they have to do something with Steven Adams because Ben Simmons, Zion Williamson, Steven Adams cannot play on an NBA court together. That is a spacing nightmare. So I think that would be something they have to address if they went that route. And we can spend a little more time on this one. I, I don't think Dallas is a good fit for Ben Simmons and Luca. I'll be honest. I think that, Luca is so ball dominant. I don't want the ball out of his hands. Also, I, I'm getting a little nervous by these character concerns. I'm hearing about Ben Simmons and that he's, he hate, I heard that he, there's a report he didn't like playing with Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler was ball dominant. And, and then he's going to go to Dallas and Luca's a whole new type of ball dominant like that. He's also very stubborn. I just, I, it'd be great whenever Luca's not in the game to have Ben Simmons running the show. That is fantastic. Defensively, having a man at that guy, I think it's great. I think the poor Zinga look, and then Ben can obviously be the guy who rolls to the basket, just not stop pick and roll. So I think it could work if you have Maxi as your five. They're typical, but I, I just don't think it'd work. I think Ben would not get along with Luca. I think he would not like how much he has the ball in his hands. And I think Ben Simmons is a guy who needs to have the ball in his hands as well. So I think that would be a clunky fit to me, which is why I'm not as much a fan as the Dallas. But I have heard a lot of people put him in the Dallas. Dallas, I think, is a good place for him, just purely because I think. Well, now they don't have Rick Carlisle, so it's going to be a little bit harder. But <laughs> yeah, uh, whoever they do decide to replace Rick Carlisle with, um, 
I think is going to do a good job. Hopefully it's somebody with good player relations. Maybe they can uh, switch up his work ethic and maybe, maybe change his mindset on what he's going to do for the franchise. Instead of being the point guard, he'll be a point forward. Somebody who can bring the ball down, not necessarily every time. Obviously he would love to do that. But if he's your four and he's your pick and roll, potentially pick and pop guy, if he, you know, learns a, learns a thing or two oh, in Dallas. Maybe, yeah. I mean, if he does, it'd be a revelation. Twitter <laughs> would light up if he makes just more than 10 threes in a season. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he does become the pick and roll guy and then having a big guy who can be the ball handler on specific sets um, creates, creates a whole lot of new opportunities for that offense. And I think take some of the load off of Luca. Uh, not necessarily – Shooting wise, obviously, you need a, you need a bucket. You're going to get Luca, but having a guy like Ben Simmons to be there to take some of the load off creating wise, I think would be huge. It just depends on what they do with the rest of that roster. Luca's obviously not ha- not happy with the rest of the that dumpster fire that they have around him. But <laughs> I dumpster fire is <laughs> there. Uh, I mean, Max Cleavers and Dwight Powell's of the world. No, I'm not the biggest Dwight Powell fan. I I don't know if they're dumpster contrary fire to my father. That. Shout out to uh, <laughs> Coach Dawson. Dwight Powell's favorite player on the Magic on the Mavericks for yeah <laughs> plays only. But I digress. Yeah, I, I would be. Yeah, I like I said, I am not a huge fan of it, but I do think you make the points of why it could work. So it'd be interesting to see if it happened. We're talking about Luca. We mentioned the Pelicans and another team looking for head coach is the Celtics. Gavin, don't. I'm just making the argument that this could be true. Don't take it word for word. There's an argument to be made that the three guys you'd want to start your franchise with at this moment in the NBA could be Luca, Zion, Jason Tatum. It is incredible that in this moment right now, all those guys are looking for new head coaches. I think it's a testament to how good of a good a time it is to be looking for work right now that you're going to have a chance to coach some of those guys. And we didn't. Even, and I mentioned those guys. So someone who loses out and gets in fourth in that group is going to get to coach Damian Lillard. It's a really good time to be looking for an NBA head coaching job. As far as starting your franchise, obviously, you know, I'm happy with the guy that I have. Oh, for uh, sure. Yes. I'm not, I'm not going to complain, but I understand why you, I understand why you make that statement. No, I completely agree. Um, if, if I'm sitting here, you know, with a front office job and I want to start my franchise, throwing my boy, uh, my fanhood from my childhood uh, away and focusing on the task at hand, I think those are three of the three of the top five guys that I'd want to build a franchise around. Um, obviously, I'm, I mean, I'm saying this just because I want to throw them in there. Booker's going to be in there, uh, probably, probably five. You do it. Probably five because starting a franchise, he's not somebody that you look at and you think, ah, yeah, you know, he's going to be the guy that that carries us to to many championships, and I and I win my GM of the year award. You know, mm. but no, I completely agree. I think Zion, Jason Tatum, and uh, Luca are the are the top three. Luca's on pace to be one of the greatest ever. Jason Tatum's a he's an assassin. Mm-hmm. He's a, he is a Kobe disciple as well. So I believe me, I understand. And then Zion's just Zion. He had a quiet year this year, but he was just as dominant as as ever. So and with the right team around him, if you can build around Zion's and Zion, then Zion becomes that guy. But I think if you're going to try and have Zion be the guy without that around him, then I wouldn't put him up that high. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it definitely does make sense. So those are good points there. All right. 
we have not done with this one last thing I want to do about Ben Simmons, dump on him a little bit more. Free throws missed this playoffs. Ben Simmons, 48 mm-hmm. free throws missed. The entire Suns roster, 29. The entire Brooklyn Nets roster, 28. So obviously, that is not great right there. They also, obviously, they have to bench him in closing time. They cannot play this guy when they need a bucket more than anything else, and they pay him $177 million. Another problem. And my absolute favorite Ben Simmons stat is this one right here. Udonis Haslam took more shots in the only quarter he played this season, two shots in three minutes before he was ejected in Udonis Haslam fashion, than Ben Simmons did in his last six fourth quarters, one shot in 44 minutes. That is mind-boggling. Oh, I'm like. Now, I'm going to put this into perspective for those of you that don't know. I haven't picked up a basketball in about three years. <laughs> I just shoot around the same percentage. From the free? I, yeah, from the free throw line. From the free throw line. I think, like, look, if we're if we're chilling around just throwing up shots in the gym, he's going to make more than you because he's still an NBA. Well, yeah, he's still an NBA player. But if you threw in the game situation, if you look, you might shoot, you'll probably shoot better from the free throw line than him. <laughs> you really think so? I think it's Possibly. about the same. Okay, I think probably. Okay, there. probably. Okay, uh, well, maybe one hundred percent not. I don't think he would, but I want to be a friend <laughs> here and build my friend up. <laughs> oh, come on, come on! I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to just put into perspective just how bad his yes. free throw percentage was. Yeah. I think I shoot at least thirty percent, even in those games. Game time. Yeah. What do I have to lose? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, exactly. So. I'm not the one getting paid one hundred seventy-seven million. I'd be yeah. on a ten-day contract like Tony Romo. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, very true. We dragged Ben Simmons through the, through the mud enough. There's one more person I want to drag through the mud in Philly. It's not Joel Embiid. I thought he balled. Yes, 0-12 fourth quarter. The one game is awful. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, he was really good. Seth Curry I thought was pretty good. Yes, Tobias Harris was a little inconsistent. But my gosh, Doc Rivers, how many times are we going to do this? He has, blown, he has lost 29 series-clinching games in his career as a head coach. We saw what happened last year. Blew the 3-1 lead. He's done it multiple. He's blown a few 3-1 leads now, did it with the Clippers as well, so it's become a trend with him. I don't think this is controversial, what I'm going to say, and I think Doc Rivers is a great guy. I respect he speaks out, speaks his mind all the time. He's one of the leaders in some of the NBA social justice movement. He seems to be a phenomenal guy and a really good head, regular season head coach. If he didn't win a title, he wouldn't be a head coach in the NBA right now. I just think there's too many losses and too many blown leads on that resume for him to continue to get jobs, despite the really good regular seasons teams have with him. If I'm Doc Rivers, and I get up, and I'm about to clinch a series, I stay at home. Yeah. <laughs> My assistants can handle it just fine. Yeah, put Dave Yeager to work. He has some head coaching experience. Let, let, let Dave Yeager run <laughs> one closing game, and if you win it, then that's just what you do from then on. Mm-hmm. Because Doc Rivers has lost his touch. He doesn't have Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen to, to, uh, to rely on, which – Right now, you'd, you'd argue that the Philly team is better than that team that won the championship that year, but it's all, it's all about uh, you know, paying attention to what the league is like during that time. So it's a whole nother, that's a whole nother, whole nother argument. It's like the, the 95 Bulls and, and the 2015 Warriors. You know, it's, it's, it's all testament to, the, it's all testament to, to the, the where the league is at at that given time. So mm-hmm. No, very true. So we'll we'll stop dumping on the. Props. Anyway, yeah, Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers does not need a job. Mm-hmm. Doc Rivers does not need a job right now. Um, if he does get a job, it should be a rebuilding franchise, one that doesn't have a chance to get into a closing game in the playoffs. Because I think he could develop some guys to become uh, really good players in the future, 
And then once he loses his first playoff series, you kind of just get rid of him for somebody who's going to carry you then and now. Mm-hmm. I think he's become that bridge coach now, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that- That's almost what Mike Budenholzer was. Had Mike Budenholzer lost that game seven, he would be that. Because he'd, be, mm-hmm. he'd be sitting at home like we are. I, oh, you, I was going to let you go ahead. Oh, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I was just going to make that point. So, and speaking of Budenholzer, we're, we've dumped on Philly enough at this point. And we'll move off of them. And they'll be back in some form. Just not with Ben Simmons, as we mentioned. How about the Bucks? I thought they were dead after the first two games. Uh, KD, Kyrie were just crushing them. Brooklyn's offense too unstoppable. The Bucks narrowly squeak out of game three. And I believe Brooklyn was horrendous from the field in every which way. And they almost won. And I felt like the series was still over. And then in game four, Kyrie gets hurt and everything changes from there. You can say two things. You can say two things here. I'm super happy for the Bucs and I'm glad they won this series. I think there's no way they win this series if Kyrie and James Harden are healthy. And I see a lot of people dragging James Harden. Yes, he's had his playoff shortcomings in the past. That man was nowhere near 100% out there hobbling around. I give him so much credit for being out there trying to tough it out and be their first teammates, part of a champion. I think a lot of people on NBA Twitter, obviously, never tried to play through injuries, especially at the highest level of professional sports. But we know there's a lot of things wrong with Twitter these days when it comes to the little burner accounts and things of that regard. But either way, such an impressive win by the Bucs. And what impressed you most about the way they gutted um, out this ugly long series? Middleton was instrumental. I, I think that he's actually earning some of the credit that he's been given over the last couple of years uh, that I don't think he had deserved up until that point. Regular season, he'd been really good, but come playoff time, he would disappear. Those last couple of games, Middleton came alive. Uh, obviously, a healthy James Harden or a healthy Kyrie Irving make all the difference in the world in that series. Uh, Kevin Durant having slightly smaller feet would also uh, <laughs> have changed the outcome of that series. Yeah. Um, but it, it kind of – it all goes hand in hand. Giannis showed up when he needed to, was efficient, really effective on the boards. That that uh, small, small ball lineup with Giannis at the five was really effective. Uh, PJ Tucker did a good job on Durant when he was on him. Obviously, he's not going to be on him all the time. So, of course, KD's going to give him a 40-piece regardless. But uh, I don't know. I, I the, Nets, the, Nets, the Nets ran into similar issues uh, that the, uh, the, Ma- uh, the Mavericks did, the Lakers did, and I don't know if there's anybody else off the top of my head. I know those two stick out to me. Uh, when it comes to their role players just not hitting the shots that they need to. Joe Harris shooting an abysmal, what, 27% that series? And he led the league in, in three-point percentage this year at 47.6%. Yeah. He really missed James Harden early on in the series, and then by the time he got back, he just couldn't find a shot. Yeah, uh, all players not named Blake Griffin. Um, yeah, Blake was really good. Not Blake Griffin, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, or James Harden, which is – I mean, really all you're missing is DeAndre Jordan or the now-retired uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, which if yeah. they had him, who knows what would have happened then. Man, that, yeah. Um, Gosh, yeah. That big. That's, that's a scary lineup. Uh, if you're not one of those four players, then you need to really look at yourself in the mirror and, and think, what happened to me this this uh, this series? Some guys Jeff – Green. You know, Jeff Green for that one game. Yeah, Jeff Green for that one game. <laughs> Jeff Green looked like old Jeff Green. Eight of nine threes. For one game, though, for one, one game, game, though, it, one it, doesn't game. Up, it doesn't make up for the entire series. You yeah. understand what I'm saying? Luca for sure, have, for sure. Luca didn't have any help. He passed it to guys that miss open shots. You know as well as I do, LeBron passed it to guys who were open and they'd miss, they'd miss wide open shots. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant yeah. needed a little bit of help. Joe Harris needed to hit what 
like what two or th- two threes in that game seven, and they would have won. Mm. I mean, it's just when they when they were called upon, they couldn't pick up the phone. The phone was just glued glued to the table. So it it is what it is. So maybe they make some roster moves in the offseason uh, regarding some of the role players. Obviously, they're losing Dinwiddie, which I completely forgot that he was still on that team. Yep, the injury. That still blows my mind. Yeah, they missed it. The, they could have um, used him. That injury was crucial. They suffered and missed on this. He actually, I think he might have been able to play in the finals had they made the finals or maybe even the, the – apparently he said he was 100% clear. So I'm guessing he actually could have played and he'll be, he would have been able to play in game one tomorrow had Brooklyn won in advance. Mm-hmm. But we'll never know. But, yeah, Blake was incredible. I mean, yeah, the 12.7 rebounds, only 1.7 assists. But, my gosh, you watch those games. He makes so many smart plays, smart passes. The defense on Yoss was fun. Yeah, a lot of those other guys. Bruce Bowen, I mean, too. He had some nice moments. But, man, he also shot way too many times sometimes. So. And yeah, Kevin Durant was incredible. 35 points per game, 10 rebounds, 5.4 assists. Uh, his game six was was incredible when he gutted that one out with the, the 49 point performance was was absolutely insane. And then he was also masterful in game seven as well, putting the team on his back, as you referred to right there, going for 48 in that game, 17 for 36, four of a limb from three, nine rebounds, six assists. So yeah, I mean it was. Kevin Durant holds no blame, but I mean, they'll look this, this is a desirable destination. You live in a big market in New York. You're going to play with three stars, Kyrie James. You're also going to play in a coach that everyone seems to love in Steve Nash. I think someone floated the idea about, I talked to someone who's like, you think Nash comes back? I'm like, he'll definitely come back because it's obvious that Durant and Kyrie really like him. And that's the most important thing is you got to keep those guys happy. They like him. And I also think Steve Nash just did a really good job. If it wasn't for the talent that this roster had on it and the expectation that they'd just be great, we would have gotten a lot more love for coach of the year for the job he did. It's not as easy as everyone thinks. I think just throwing talent like this together and plugging in so many new pieces, I think Nash really made it a seamless fit. And I mean, if I had to pick who was going to win the title next year, I still, I would pick this team right now because I think yeah. when they're healthy, they are that deadly. I so think yeah, Brooklyn, it ends in, yes, Gavin. I think the Nets, I, I hate seeing this, and I, and it's not just because I, I have a soft spot for Steve Nash, um, but I hated seeing all this all the slander that came Steve Nash's way because they lost. Um, obviously, for the reasons I mentioned before, the role players just didn't hit their shots when they were called upon, but they were also missing two of their two of their four best players. Yes. Uh, the, the fact that I can say two, two of, of the best 15 best in the planet. Yeah. Two of the best fifteen on the planet. Two of their four best players. The fact that I can say two of their four best players instead of three best players blows my mind because Blake Griffin obviously was very instrumental in their success up until this point. Um, but Steve Nash didn't get as much credit as he deserved, as you said. Uh, managing that roster, I'm sure, with with uh, all of the personalities that are in that locker room with those with those with that big three um, can I'm sure be tough. Uh, but being a first-time head coach coming off of your couch to to coach this team uh if you weren't if he wasn't laden with such I wouldn't say laden burdened with such uh high expectations I think then I agree with you he'd be right up there top three it's it's just it's for him to do what he did with that team uh, obviously there's going to be some shortcomings. He's a new coach, never done this before. It helps having his old coach, Dan Tony, by his side. But 
having never done that before and for him to be as good as he was was still impressive. For sure. And yeah, he did a really good job. The coaching staff was loaded. I mean, Jacques Vaughn is going to get head coaching offers this offseason. And Amari Stoudemire, it's funny how often we forget yeah. he's on this coaching yeah. staff too. So he's good. So let's shift on Brooklyn. We'll touch on, we're going to touch on this will lead us into our Hawks Bucks series preview. But I do just want to say I was you alluded to it earlier. I was so impressed with Giannis, especially in game seven, at having a 40 piece, 13 rebounds, five assists. Through the first three quarters, and he still made a play or two in overtime, he kept his team in the game. Then Middleton and Holiday finally got going late. Lopez is really good as well, but this team is truly – it goes eight guys to me. You get Connington, Forbes, and because they're going to play the Hawks who play more centers, they're going to be able to bring Bobby Portis back in. So it's a nice eight they're able to play. I love when Giannis plays the five, but I am it's a huge win – Everyone in the NBA, Kyrie liked to joke that he thought the entire world was rooting for Brooklyn. No one wanted to see Brooklyn win outside of Brooklyn because of the way that roster is built. It's not super teams like that are not great for the overall structure of the business that is the NBA. We like when the talent is spread out. And we also love a small market fun story, the underdog. And Giannis is the underdog, 13th overall pick, grinded it out. Then when he makes it big with the MVPs, busts in the playoffs, isn't able to get it done. Resigns with a small market. Is he going to be able to do it? And he does. He's able to knock off Brooklyn. Injuries aside, they still got it done. So I think it's great for them. I mean, if we can just jump into the Hawks thing right now, I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say we're both feeling pretty good about the Bucks in the series, right? I'll say I feel I feel Bucks in six. And the only reason I'm giving it, I would go five, but I have too much respect for this Hawks team. So I'm doing Bucks in six. I mean, I well, I get too far away. Um I completely agree with you. Uh, I think at this point, we can't count the Hawks out for anything because they just beat the 76ers. I think before the 76ers series, you and I both said maybe 76ers and five. Or yeah, I, I thought like I thought a game was generous. And four or five. I really did. And we we thought that the uh, the Hawks were going to beat the Knicks and what? Yeah, or the, Knicks were gonna, the Knicks were going to beat the Hawks in, in six or seven. I, I like the Hawks in six. That's how I, I mean, the Hawks. they've done nothing but exceed our expectations. And it wouldn't surprise me if they continue to do it again. I'm not going to pick the Hawks. I'm going to as much as it sounds like I'm going to. I'm going to pick the Bucks to win, and and I'm going to say six. I think uh, Ice Trey shows up for two games in Atlanta, and makes it two two, and then Giannis is just I've had enough of this. Closes it out. They they use that small ball with him at the five lineup significantly more, and we see him go off for forty plus those last two mm-hmm. games just because he has his way in the paint. Ben It'll be interesting Simmons. to see how Capella does. It will It'll be. be interesting to see how Capella does uh, against Giannis. Blake Griffin has success. I think Capella is a good defender. Maybe not as mobile, but I think his length is going to play a factor into guarding Giannis. So it'll be interesting to see. It will be interesting to see. I Actually, I think they're going to throw John Collins at. I was really impressed with the job John Collins did versus Julius Randle. I, I think John Collins would really struggle to guard Brooke Lopez if Brooke Lopez decides to remind everyone, hey, I'm the Nets all-time league scorer with, like, 15 threes hit or whatever. Like if he goes back to the basket a little more so, but I mean, Giannis is always Capel is a good defender. I think he'd do a good job if he was on Giannis. I bet we'll see some of that too, but I, I'd give Collins a shot. I love, I like Collins and you mentioned Trey Young going nuclear and we just saw in that game seven, they don't even need him to go nuclear because they have all these other guys, Collins, Herter, if Bogdanovich can get healthy, red, yes, red velvet, Gallinari coming off the bench. That he does. <laughs> Sweet Lou Williams, the definition of the microwave scorer. They got all these guys who were able to do it. So it's going to be interesting. 
It does not get, if you are asking who are the two best guys in the NBA at guarding guards, it might be Ben Simmons and Drew Holiday. And Trey's getting those guys in back-to-back series. Trey Young's stats also, yes, he still had some nice games, but there were some, when he was guarded by Ben, Ben did a really good job on him. I think Holiday's going to do a really good job on him. I think it's going to be a tough series, and that's definitely part of the reason I'm picking them. You mentioned too Chris Middleton. He's been a guy who comes up short sometimes in these moments, but he, he stepped up big in the last round. I expect him to do it again. So it will be very interesting to see how the series plays out just because the Hawks keep shocking everyone. But it's finally Giannis is, I mean, very few guys in NBA history have won two MVPs. It, it feels like it's time for Giannis to really build, add to this legacy by trying to get a title. And he has a golden opportunity to win it this year. The only player left who has won an MVP. Okay, I, I was confused by what you had said. I didn't think about it for a second. I didn't realize that you meant well, one of the last – in the last four teams that were left. So you're right, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, my apologies. I, I didn't think about that fully. Yeah. I think no, if, it was a, if it was a Suns-Hawks mm-hmm. finals. Um, it would – I think – I it was Suns-Hawks would be fine. I, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be Suns-Bucks. I would pick the Bucks just outright. I'll tell you that right now. I think I would probably go oh, – just because I, I have a lot of respect for Denver. I would go Bucks and seven. That's what I'm kind of feeling right now. See the little smirk on his face. What is what is Mr. Dawson feeling? Suns and six. Suns and six. Who's who's stopping Giannis? Is, is DeAndre Ayton stepping up? I think people forget just how good DeAndre Ayton had been on Giannis the few games that they played against each other. So who's guarding Brooke Crowder? Probably. I don't know what we're gonna do. He's I got mean, some size on him, at least that he can make it more difficult. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a weird scenario. We'll figure it out. I mean, Monty's a genius, so it's not yeah. <laughs> it's not gonna be too hard for him to figure out. I mean, we'll have CP3 yeah. back by then. So, mm-hmm. um, but no, I I mean, if, obviously, if the Suns do lose and the Clippers somehow come back from a 2-0 deficit again, which I'd be surprised if it did, um, I couldn't be upset. With the Suns, I think this is our best chance to win win a ring given the structure of the league for the next couple of years, uh, with where all the stars are. But uh, I mean, if if we do lose, then I want the Clippers to win, just because, uh, I mean, both the Hawks and the Bucks championships were before the NBA ABA merger, but they have champions. Yes. The Suns mm-hmm. and Clippers don't. They don't have anything. I mean, the, the fans of those teams now basically don't either, because I don't know if there's anyone who's alive who even remembers the other one. Yeah, right. I mean, I guess that's true, but there's somebody that, that remembers it. But it's also still on their record, so I'm not going to – they can suck it up. And yeah, it's a nice way for you to say your sons deserve it more than them as well. <laughs> they can suck it up and try again next year. Very true. So that's going to do it for our play- yeah, it's gonna do it for playoff long. stuff. We have a few more rapid other NBA topics. First, let's start off with the Kemba Walker swap. Kemba – they have to attach a first round pick because he's constantly injured. It's just tough. He goes to OKC. Now we get Al Horford back to the Celtics. What are your thoughts on that trade, Gavin? <laughs> it's just, I feel like it's a step backwards. I mean, maybe it's a, maybe I think, is it more of a salary dump? Cause it is because Horford's contract's a little bit better. I mean, the nice thing with Horford is he does provide the spacing that Robert Williams does not the veteran presence. I think he can help he mentor him as well. No, he might. I don't. Yeah, I. If they, if he they do, we're going to give so. up a lot of points in the paint. I think, as old as Al Horford is at this point, it's just going to be too tough for him to play mm-hmm. both sides at a high level for that long. I think the bench role for him is going to be perfect. Like you said, the mentor role is going to is going to fit him. 
a little bit better. Hopefully Cardiac Kemba comes back to somewhat of his former self. He's probably one of my favorite college players of all time. Yeah. I don't think he plays a game in OKC. I said the same thing when Chris Paul went there and I was wrong, but I just, I don't see why you would play. I want the ball in Shea's hands as much as it can be. You think Kemba gets traded for more draft picks? And they just... I think Kemba goes, yes, yeah, somewhere for more draft picks, whether that's, I know we've mentioned the Lakers a lot, but like it's got to be someone who's willing to take on that salary. I think there's a way they could make it work. Maybe, uh, maybe the Mavericks, if they feel better about it. Maybe Portland, but that would just be <laughs> bad for both parties. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting with the CJ swap. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, – how they handle it as well. I, I Kemba's a great guy too, by all accounts. It's just it really is just because of the injuries is why they end up having to settle so badly, unfortunately. And then we got two crazy situations going on right now between what the Celtics are having, where the Celtics madness that happened there, and then we get the madness that happened in Dallas. Gavin, what are your thoughts on those two situations? Uh, Danny Ainge stepping down is a surprise. It wouldn't surprise me if Danny Ainge picks up a job somewhere else after a year. I think he takes the next year off. He just wants a break. He's been working. Oh. His- He's been working his ass off for a long Forever. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he takes a break. Maybe he winds up in Dallas next year. Who knows? People are talking about yeah. Danny Ainge or uh, – uh, I forgot how to say his name. The Toronto Raptors guy. Masai Ujiri. Yeah, I, I, forgot how to say, I forgot how to say his name. Um, Ujiri is great. He'd be a good one. Those are two. Those are two names that uh, a lot of people in Dallas are wanting them to pursue, uh, but it's already come out that that's not something that they're going to do. Um, hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe Doc Rivers goes back to Boston. I doubt it. It was just, I'd be stunned if Doc was fired. I'll say as much as I'm like, I think as much as I was bagging on him, I just, I think it's just a new head coach. You still have the one seed. You're going to get rid of Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is the fall guy this year. They don't move better next year. Then it'll be Doc will be the fall guy. It'll be interesting to see what, uh, Boston does. Dallas caught me by surprise. With Carlisle? Yeah. With Carlisle. Uh, Living in Texas for a long time, of course, I'm a diehard Suns fan, but I celebrated when the, when the Mavs won their championship in 2011. Um, I was not a fan of the move for LeBron going from Cleveland to Miami. So it's not, you know, not hate against LeBron. It's just I just didn't like it at the time. Um, <laughs> the evil eyes I just got. Um, and and more, so, more so my love for Dirk, just pure respect for, for him. Uh, to see him to see him dominate that year is I was gonna celebrate. I and I love Rick Carlisle as a coach. I think if he would if he was free, you know, six years ago and the Suns needed the head coach, I would have been happy with Rick Carlisle as, as our new head coach back then. Uh obviously really happy with Monty now. But uh I I was deeply saddened to see Rick go and to see him leave in the fashion that he did. Uh more with him butting heads with from what i've seen uh you can back me up on this you've probably seen it more than i have uh butting heads with luca and yes them not seeing eye to eye with the front office mm-hmm. no they did there was a lot of reports that look he has this, look rick has a certain system he likes to run at certain times luca was like i am the only system at times and i think that's where the butting heads came in a little bit and and that's they're giving up a lot of control to luca which He's a generational player. You don't want to lose him. Second coming of Dirk as a guard, as a guard if you will. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just I, – I, it's – I'm still kind of – I haven't paid too much attention to that, that scenario altogether, I'll be completely honest with you. I just – I'm deeply saddened with how that, how that franchise let him go 
for somebody who brought them their first championship and was so good for them for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not surprising, you know, Dallas franchises do tend to have a, a way of parting with their head coaches poorly. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an unfortunate ending how it worked out. But at the same time, I also there was a reason people were being like, could this happen? Because it's been 10 years since you won a title. They, they, had, they have not made it out of the first round since he won that title. So that's another example of, yes, we celebrated for winning that title, but he didn't do it that one year. I think he would have been gone yeah. a little bit sooner. He's still a really good head coach, but there are a lot of shortcomings there as well. With the, the way they fumbled the late Dirk years, I think they did make a few mistakes along the lines there. And then some of the Luka stuff too, I think was fumbled a little bit as well. The solution to me for Dallas is, Whoever Luka wants to be the head coach, be the head coach. Just keep the star happy. And they're another team. They're going to trade Kristaps. Where? I don't know. But also, Kristaps isn't worth pennies on the dollar either. He's another 25-year-old who's had a lot of success. I think he would work somewhere better where they – he's not the most physical player, but I do think he's willing to post up a little bit more than Dallas has him. Where Carlo has been on record before saying he's the most inefficient shot in basketball is giving it into the paint. And I think if he were to end up in somewhere like, I don't even know, Indiana, just off the top of my head, I don't think they'd move on from Sabonis, but, or even Miles Turner, it's a clunky fit there, but just somewhere that would empower him in the paint a little bit more. I think that'd be great for Kristaps. So go through Luca there. That's what I think they should do for the Dallas scenario. It wouldn't surprise me if Rick Carlisle is, on a, is a coach for a contender next year. I think Portland, I, look, I don't think there was a bigger Nets fan than Rick Carlisle because I think he was salivating over the opportunity to coach Giannis. Obviously, it's just something I was just, I think he was doing. We haven't, there's been no reports on that. I think now the Portland job, maybe the Zion job is very appealing to him. Do you think if the Bucks lose in the Eastern Conference Finals and they, they lose to the Hawks, the Hawks are the representative out of the East, do you think Budenholzer gets fired and then they go for Rick Carlisle? Or do you think he winds up in yeah, somewhere he, like Boston? He, he'll probably get fired if he loses to the Hawks because it's, it seems like such a massive upset. And I think there would a lot of things would really have to go wrong for them to lose to the Hawks as great as Trey Young's playoff debut has been. And between what we're seeing from Trey in the East and Book in the West, it's been a special postseason mm-hmm. debut just overall for both those guys. I, with all that said, I still think they'd fire Budenholzer um, and then he'd be the head coach there. And then to hit on the Celtics one really quick, it's a really simple fix to me. It was a lot of older guys who see the game of basketball differently. Let's move off that. I think the answer is just bring in Chauncey Billups, bring in the point guard, the guy who is known for having really good chemistry, a great guy as well, Clippers assistant. I think he would do a great job in Boston. That to me is just a simple, easy fix. As you hire him, you get the culture right. I think Brad is going to do a great job in the front office. He's still one of the best basketball minds we've seen in a long time. I'll be honest too. I don't know how long he's in that role. I still think like a year or two from now, he's going to get the coaching itch. And I feel like he goes back down to coaching. That wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't surprise me. He's just so young and he was such a good coach. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't argue with that logic. I don't think off the top of my head, I think Carlisle may take the year off. But I think it's one of those things where he takes the year off, maybe two years off, potentially, depending on how things go. And he gets the coaching itch as well. I think Carlisle is one of those guys who just loves being just in the gym coaching. It's just yeah. it's just a part of his DNA. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I think it's, I think, yeah, I think Brad definitely get back into it quick. All right. Last thing we're going to touch on the draft lottery was tonight, June 22nd. So how the top five shook out was Detroit got number one. Detroit got really screwed last year. They got number seven overall. It was a really tough break for them after losing all their stars and just seemed really hopeless for them with all the injuries. Number two is Houston much needed as well. The team that they were throwing out there without James Harden was abysmal. 
The Cavs at number three. I think the Cavs have a lot of really nice pieces, so I'm very interested to see where they go with this, especially because a lot of the best guys in this class are either a guards or a center. And I guess then the question becomes, how much do you like Jared Allen? Because if Evan Mobley is staring you at the board, the big out of USC, who's in, who is obviously supposed to be better than Jared Allen if he's going in the top three, I think that makes it very interesting. How much money is Jared Allen making? I do not believe he signed his extension. He's extension eligible, Ooh. which free agency is after the draft. So they might be able to wait and see how that shakes out before they end up paying him. So that could be something. The best Toronto at four, it worked out great for them. There's a clear top four prospects. A lot of people say there's a clear top three, but I mean, when you get, so Cade Cunningham should go number one to Detroit, Houston and Cleveland, more than likely one goes Mobley, the other goes Suggs. But even I think Toronto's dream is that Jalen Suggs falls to them. They get their Kyle Lowry replacement, a guy who's known for stepping up in big time games, doing what Suggs did with Gonzaga. Or they get a guy in Jalen Green who had he gone the college route and not the G League route, I think would really be in the mix. And he's the, put it down. You were going to get an update from some source saying Jalen Green could go in the top three or Jalen Green could go as high as two or maybe even someone goes Jalen Green in one. He's the guy to me that as we get closer to rumor season for the NBA draft is a name that's going to start going up a little bit more. As we get so focused on the college aspect of NBA scouting, we forget to look at the G League stuff, and Jalen Green was still really good over there. But either way, stuff is really interesting. I'm really happy that they they opened it up for that mm-hmm. uh, for that route and allowing kids yes. to go directly to the G League to play for Ignite and then get drafted uh, that way. And I think the G League, I think people should start looking at the numbers that some kids put up in the G league a little bit more seriously because they're actually playing for the most part, NBA level talent more so than they would in college. If you ask me until they get to March. Yeah. I think what uh, turns a lot of team off, I have no knowledge of this. This is just an opinion. I think a lot of guys look at it. Like if you go the college route, you're going to commit to a team. You're buying into a team. It's a very unselfish move. And if you go the NBA route, it's more of a thing where I get my money right now. I am not saying either one of those is the right or wrong way. But a lot of these GMs are old school guys who value team loyalty over what a lot of these older white GMs, if we're calling it what it is, get fed up with the more empowered athlete of today. So I do feel like that's why a LaMelo ball going overseas. I think that hurt him a little bit. RJ Barrett, that RJ Hampton, excuse me, RJ Hampton, that definitely hurt him going overseas to me. I just don't think he makes it. I don't think he falls to 18 or, or maybe even 22. If he fell to 22, I, I don't think that don't happens if he goes to Kansas, for example. And I think it's the same thing with a guy like Jalen green. I think if he goes in the college scout, he has more eyes on him in that regard. And I don't think it would have hurt his stock. Even if it is just a couple picks as it did, but I agree. If Jalen Green balls out his first year, a lot more guys are going to go the G League route. And NBA scouts, I think, and the general media is going to take more note of the G League route because we'll all be looking for the next Jalen Green, the guy who went under the radar because he didn't play in the league that we all, as college basketball fans mainly, because there's not a lot of G League fans out there, wanted him to play. And we very well could see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think for those GMs who are willing to take that risk and are more progressive um, and open-minded to their drafting capabilities, Obviously, you want the guy to buy into their team, but I think those kids that go to the take the G League route are just as bought into a team as, as anybody else. They're playing with a bunch of other kids who are just trying to make their name known, the same the same way the kids in college are. They're taking that route to get the money because their fa- maybe their family needs it. Mm-hmm. 
and it's it's not so much of a selfish thing. You got to look at the whole scenario. Uh, I can understand why most uh, GMs might think that way now. Um, but if G- obviously you're right. If Jalen Green does blow up and winds up being rookie of the year and plays out of his mind, then people are like, yeah. But I also feel like that the G League leaves them more pro-ready and more hungry for those real NBA minutes because they're getting their taste of NBA action, but it's not the NBA, if that mm. makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. I think it could make them more hungry for the NBA minutes. And I'll reiterate, as I said once again, I do not feel like that's the sure thing. I don't, and I'm there is nothing wrong with either route the guys go, in my opinion. I'm just simply basing it off how I think a lot of these GMs operate because these guys are older school like that. And we also know just in life in general, when people want you to do something a certain way where people don't like change. Let's just do that. Every, no, not a lot of people like change. This G League thing is new, it's changed. And I think to a lot of teams, they're put off by it just slightly but if it works out big and the players do have that success i think it's definitely going to turn around like that but draft lottery and everything else is definitely an exciting time it may also uh allow them to work on their game a little bit more i know and i think you can attest to this being a college so as much as it we would love to be in the gym all the time playing basketball and not having to worry about classes grades assignments whatever those in the G League have that opportunity. Sure, they travel, but they're practicing nonstop. Same way those kids in, same way those kids in college are. But those kids in college, when they get done, granted, most of them, at least in the power, in the Power Five schools, or uh, those guys who are, who they know that they're going to be one and done. They're taking like the music class. I don't know what kind of stuff yeah, so there's, the yes there's more classes but, but they take the easier courses rather than the other ones but most kids who are coming from the college route are have a heavy class load their work their their class time is as much as their gym time and they have to mm-hmm. balance that they're not sleeping as much i don't know there's a lot of i mean obviously there's not a lot known about it but i'm just trying to throw some more no you're right it's, it's a very variant, complex more variants out there i don't feel like i'm too far-fetched in thinking that way. No, um, you're absolutely right. I think you make good points. But I wanted to put that out there just because. Mm-hmm. It's such a complex thing, and each individual case is so different from the other. That That's why it requires everyone to take a deep dive and look into all these things because they are so heavy faceted. It's, it's an interesting thing in general. And the NBA in general is always going to be interesting with all the news and nonstop action we're getting, and it's just going to continue to roll on. So it, it's been a great episode. We appreciate you guys joining us for this episode. It's been Indeed. fun talking about everything. Gavin, did you have to close with? Um, uh, I mean, it's not really – it's not new news now at this point, but Christian Eriksen is stable. He's healthy. Uh, the scare at the Euros for Denmark is uh, was a terrible thing for, for that to happen to him. Um, I'm really happy Denmark made it to the round of 16 in the Euros. They're doing it for him. I think it'd be fun to keep an eye on them uh, for those of you that do keep up with soccer or care enough to watch the Euros. Uh, Denmark will be a fun team to keep up with just simply for the fact that they're playing for something more than they're more than just their country, but they're, they're, uh, they're country compatriot. I think that's a really good point and a serious one. And I'll be honest, I wish we ended on, we, I wish we ended on that, but I did want to mention this. 
as well now. Just something a little more fun. Of course, we're getting the Olympics back as well. And Team USA has started out their invites. I am very excited for some of the names that are on the roster we're at the moment. It's Chris, Chris Middleton, Kevin Love, Drew Holiday, Bam Adebayo, James Harden, Durant, J- Draymond Green, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, and Damian Lillard with only one spot left at the moment, which Chris Paul, Steph Curry, and Devin Mitch- Donovan Mitchell, and LeBron as well have all already declined. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, maybe it's Paul George, maybe it's Kawhi, or whoever else that last spot ends up going to like that. But it'll be fun to get Olympic basketball. It's always fun to you watch know, those Chris guys. Paul accepted it and then realized James Harden accepted it and then he <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be the reason. I'll make this last point really quick. Ben Simmons is going to decline his. I think Ben Simmons should totally participate in this. I think it's a great opportunity for him to have to be more aggressive, have to be the scoring option for his team. Now, look, if he's going to seriously retool his entire shot, then I get not going because that requires a lot of work. But I really think it would have been good for him to play for Australia and have to be that guy who who has to make almost all the plays because it's basically him and Aaron Baines. And Aaron Baines, the fan club, will try to build him up as much as he wants. But Joe Ingles. <laughs> and Joe, Joe Ingles. Yeah. But Ben Simmons would be that team's guy, and I think it'd be good for Ben to play on his own team. I'm also – Luca's going to play on the on his his Luka, national team as well, Luka so it'll be a lot of fun. Team at 17 assists. He had more help with the Slovenian national team. <laughs> than that. that is true. And last four years ago, I remember they played Serbia, and there was this one big man giving them buckets, and almost no one knew who it was. It was Nikola Jokic who actually gave the USA team a lot of trouble that year. be interesting to see who the breakout is. That is this time around for the Olympics. That's always, you know, that's a good point. There's a lot of things that uh, that fly under the radar in Olympic basketball that, that, that don't uh, get to, I don't know. Maybe uh, Capazzo turns out to be <laughs> instrumental for Argentina. 31-year-old rookie, yes. Ugh. Argentinian guard. Some history. And that is where we're going to end it on on Composo right there. Right? The perfect way to end Composo. For Gavin Dawson, I am JC Wister. So thank you guys for joining us and we'll be back. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Soon.